If I haven't met you yet, I'm Greg Nicholson. I lead the pastoral staff here. And uh, my wife is an avid sower. And she has this whole group of friends that are also involved in that hobby. It's more than a hobby. She makes so many clothes. It's amazing. And then uh, one of her friends is a woman by the name of Leanne. And Leanne and her whole family are also avid runners. Her husband, all five children, one of her sons, Matthew, he actually was going in the half marathon of the Blue Nose Marathon. That This was back in 2013. And after arriving, he thought, eh, maybe I'll run the full marathon. And then he won the marathon that year. And that next year, Ian Dempsey and I were putting together a team to go in the PEI Red Island relay race. And it required someone to run 10.5 kilometers, someone to run 10, uh, excuse me, seven and a half kilometers. And then there were bike rides and canoeing. And I thought, well, the, the Matthew and all his siblings, they came to vacation Bible school at our church. That's good enough. I could put him on the team. But I didn't. Uh, Ian and I had our daughters run each of those legs. Every time I tried to do that and stack the team in a church event, it never worked out anyway. So Leanne, she has been told by her doctor, no more running. Her, her knees are just so bad from all the pounding. But she's now doing power walking. And every morning at 6.30, I'm sitting at our counter, looking out the window, eating my breakfast, and she comes powering by, just flying. The arms are going like that in a power walk. She's going twice as fast as her husband, who's running. And it's kind of hilarious. You think he, he's going to faint. He's going so slow. But she is just thankful that she gets to be out there and that at least she gets to be able to power walk, although not run. But what things are you thankful for? Some of the things that we should be most thankful for are likely those things that we just kind of take for granted. You could put electricity on that list. We just assume that when we press that button or flip that switch, that the lights are going to come on. And we assume that when we open the refrigerator door, that everything will be cold in there and that stuff will be frozen in the freezer below or above. And then we, we just assume that on a, a day like today, if you have a heat pump, that you just take the remote control, you turn that on, and you can cool off your, your living space. So we trust in, in all those things. And then water should be on that list as well. Go a few days without water or any of those things, and you notice how much you assumed in the past. So some of the things that we should be most thankful for are some of those things that we just seem to take for granted. Now, near the top of that list, I would put the Holy Spirit for the church. If the Holy Spirit were to be turned off in your life, would you notice or actually how much you've taken him for granted? I have a quote by A.W. Tozer here, and he explains it this way. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But then he explains, if the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. So the Holy Spirit is God's great gift to us. But I think that 
too many of us, we're not really sure what to do with him. I don't know if you're familiar with Chevy Chase's Christmas movies, but that Uncle Eddie that would show up all the time, unwelcome and, and that type of thing. You know, sometimes people treat the Holy Spirit a bit like that. Shows up once in a while, it's a little bit awkward while he's there, and then you're glad when he leaves. But this is God's gift to us, and we should notice if we're not living in that power. So the question I'd like you to answer in your life, and that I'd like us to wrestle with as a church, is if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you notice? Would you notice that you have been taking him for granted? Now the Apostle John is writing to the new Christians, and he's writing about walking as Jesus walked, and living as Christians, and he's going to talk to them about the power of the Holy Spirit. And because we dare not take a step of following after Jesus without this power in our lives. And I've come to realize as I was working on this message that I needed to hear more of this as I was growing up in church. It might have been said, and I might have somehow missed it, but I did learn a lot about this. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. These are the rules to follow. This is what you do. This is what you don't do if you're a Christian. But I somehow missed hearing about this gift from God, the Holy Spirit, that makes all of this possible. And there's really no point in talking about all that other stuff if you don't get the Holy Spirit part right. So John's writing to these Christians, and he's very clear with them about where this power is coming from. And one of the greatest tragedies in the church is if you become a Christian, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but then are just kind of vaguely aware of it. You've got this incredible gift, and it just kind of goes up on the shelf, or maybe you put it under your bed, or it's unboxed, it's not plugged in. You're taught to follow Jesus, but not given the power to do it. So before we look at what John said to these Christians, what he taught them, I want us to go back and see what Jesus taught John and the other disciples about the Holy Spirit. So the context is Jesus is preparing the disciples for his departure. He's going to be crucified soon, resurrected back to life, and then just spend another eight days on the earth before going back to heaven. Excuse me, 40 days on the earth after his resurrection. And then the disciples are going to feel alone because they've been with him every step of the way. So he wants to prepare them for his departure. So John 14, verse 18, he said, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So he says, I'm not asking you to go down this narrow and difficult trail or road on your own. And then he explains what he means in verses 26 and 27. But when the Father sends the advocate, now in some translations that's counselor, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. But 
They are troubled and they are afraid. Jesus, the one that they've just spent the last three years with, is now telling them that he's not going to be with them any longer. This doesn't sound like a good trade to John because he's probably listening and thinking, okay, I've got God with me right now and he's telling me that it's going to be better. I'm going to have God inside of me through the Holy Spirit. So he's just not getting that at that point. I've got God here with me physically. I've seen him calm the storms. I've seen him take care of people's hunger. I've seen him healing people. I've seen him answering the questions of the religious leaders. And now, Jesus, you're saying that the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to go, and the Holy Spirit is supposed to replace you. See, there's a tendency, uh, probably for the disciples and sometimes for us, to see the Holy Spirit as the weaker member of the Godhead. There's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I guess he's there too, is almost the way we look at it. We take for granted this amazing gift God has given to us. But you can look through scripture and you can see the way that the Holy Spirit manifests the attributes of an individual personality. You read and you see that the Holy Spirit speaks, he acts, he leads, he calls, he guides, he forbids, he knows, he teaches, he decides, even grieves. So it's not what, it's who. It's not some mystical presence, it's God in spirit form. And one of the more difficult challenges is trying to explain and understand the whole concept of the Godhead. And we were attempting to do this at our partnership class yesterday. And I had a list of different scriptures that talked about the Godhead. And I was asking the students, which one of these jumps out at you the most? And a number of them said, well, you know, it's all equal because each one explains in a little different way how we can understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity, is the word you may have heard. That is the Godhead. But there are two Greek words that are translated as another in the New Testament. If you were here last week, I had a Greek lesson last week. So there's a little one today as well. And one Greek word is, I have it up here, is the word heteros, and that literally means another of the same kind. But there's another Greek word which is used for another. I need to come up with something else, and it's not repeating. But, and, and it's the word alos, and it's another of exactly the same kind. So we ask, which word is John using here? Because Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, is it heteros? Is it alos? And the answer is alos, because it's not someone pretty much like me, but he's saying, I will give you someone exactly like me. And suddenly, this begins to answer a lot of the questions we have about the Spirit, because Jesus is exactly like the Spirit. So Jesus is saying to these guys, look, you don't need to be afraid. I know I've been with you and we've spent all this time together during this past three years, but when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, it is going to be an amazing thing. So John uh, 16, verse 7, he said, but in fact, 
it is best for me that I go away. And then he explains that. Because if I don't, the advocate or the counselor won't come. If I don't go away, then I will send him, excuse me, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. So yeah, it's actually better, he's saying, if I go and he comes. Because if I don't go, he won't come. And then there's this profound truth for us as Christians that we sometimes miss. We think God with us is good, but God in us is even better. So what would it look like if we understood that gift that we had been given in the Holy Spirit as actually better than the disciples having Jesus with them in the flesh? How would it change the way we follow Jesus if we had the belief that God in us is better than God with us? So Jesus reassures the disciples of the gift they've been given, and John has personally experienced this. He has known the power, and now he writes to these Christians about the importance of keeping in step with the Spirit. And there are some verses in 1 John. I'm just going to read. I'm not going to comment on them. But in chapter 2, verse 20, the Holy One has given you his Spirit. In 27, you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives in you. Another reminder. Chapter 3, verse 24, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. And then 1 John 4, 4, the Spirit who lives in you is greater, greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. And then in verse 13, And God has given us his gift as proof that we live in him and he in us. I like that. It's proof that he is a part of our lives. So the Christian is not to store that gift away, but every Christian receives that gift. But you know something? Not every Christian acts as if they have received it. After the first gospel sermon, It was preached in Acts chapter 2, and the people had been listening to Peter preach, and as he presented from the Old Testament these various scriptures, they realized, "Uh uh-oh, we actually did crucify the Messiah. So they came to believe in him, and then they're wondering, okay, there must be something else that we do. It must be more than just mentally agreeing about Jesus. And this is what Peter said to them in Acts chapter 2. And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in him in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So every Christian receives this gift, but some have received the gift, and I don't even know if they realize that they have received it or not. Because have you ever received a gift that you're not really sure what you're going to do with? For me, it was my Mac computer. 
I was quite happy in PC land. I knew what I was doing with that computer. Whenever I had trouble, I could solve the problem myself. But then my associate pastor, James, said, my Mac computer's not strong enough anymore for me to do all the things I do around here. And, and that was true because he's got video and everything else. He uh, looks after so much of that area. So I said, okay. And then he said, and then the church will buy me a new computer and then you can have my Mac. That will be an upgrade for you. And I don't know how I agreed to that. So the learning curve, you know, sometimes they say it's steep. Well, it's steep. It's been steep for the last few number of years. And I'll be on there, and all of a sudden, it dis what I was working on just disappears altogether. And then sometime later, it miraculously reappears, and I don't know how it left. I don't know how it comes back. I have this picture on there on my home screen or screensaver. Don't have a clue how that picture got there. And then sometime later, I replaced it with something else. And I don't know how I did it. I, I went to a, a board meeting. And I'm a part of a board. And it's mostly all young guys with all their techie stuff. So I pulled out my Mac computer. And I flip it up. And I see that apple on the back. And, and they're quite impressed. And I'm thinking, if you guys only knew that... I don't have a clue how to do most of the stuff that this thing can do. But I, I was cool. It was just like a Leon's Furniture commercial. Like those things that happened for me, it, it was a miracle. But let's put it this way. It's not a question of if you've received the gift. It's a question of whether or not you're using its power. And I wasn't using the full power of that computer. So there will be a time when you need his power. And maybe you don't call it power. You might actually call it direction. Because you're not really sure what to do about a relationship. Or, or maybe th there's a, a decision coming up. It might even be something about a job. And you're not exactly sure what to do. You try to figure it out on your own. You try to rationalize it. You make a list of pluses and minuses. And you still don't want know what to do but just pray God fill me with your spirit because the Holy Spirit will be your guide and you may not call it power but it might be comfort this summer you're going to be going on a vacation to visit family and there's a certain loved one that is no longer in your family that person has passed away and your heart is broken the Holy Spirit wants to be your comforter so some of you might call it power, some of you might call it strength, but you've been struggling with issues in your life. Maybe it's a sin that you just can't seem to get rid of. And you hear messages in church that say, now you shouldn't do those things, and, and, and this is what will happen if you do those things, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't pick yourself up. So it's not a question of whether you've received this gift. It's a question of whether you are living under its power. Dr. Bill Bright, in his book, How to Be Filled with the Spirit, tells about a farmer who lived in the hills of West Texas. And there's a famous oil field there that's called Yates Pool. And he explains how 
it, this came to be. Mr. Yates owned a sheep farm, and he, this was during the Depression, and he was just trying to make ends meet. He was struggling. He couldn't pay the mortgage on his farm, but he was able to kind of keep up with the interest during the Depression, and he had to go and get government assistance for food and clothing, and it was stressful. It was full of anxiety for him to try and care for his family. And then one day he had a visit from the seismographic crew from an oil company, and they said, we think there might be oil on your land. Would you mind if we drilled and checked? And he gave them permission to drill. And at 340 meters, they struck this huge oil reserve. And the first well actually came in at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And then were many other wells after that that were twice that amount. And even 40 years later, there are some of those wells that still produce twice the, that original amount. So here was Mr. Yates. He owned this the whole time. It was there all this time. He was a multimillionaire living in poverty. He had all the resources that he needed. They were right there underneath his soil. But he didn't know it, and he didn't live like it. This is an image of what happens with the church and with Christians. You know, it, it's right there, but you don't know it. No one has really helped you know and discover that. So you go through life, and we need joy, and we're not certain about where we're going to find it. But it's right there. We need peace in a certain situation, and we don't know where we're going to find it. But it's right there. So it's not a question of, have you received the gift, but are you being filled with his power? So there are a few things that we become susceptible to. A self-righteous spirit. When we're not filled with the Spirit, we tend to put everything on ourselves. It's all about me. And we look at the good things that happen in our lives and we say, look what I did. Chest is stuck out and there's pride. Any holiness or righteousness that we somehow are able to drum up or any success that we have, we say, well, I'm doing my part. But Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he said, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? So he's saying, are you kidding me? You can drive, and you're going to walk to all of those locations. You have the power there, and now you're trying to do this by human effort when you began with the Spirit. And then the second thing we can be susceptible to is guilt-ridden religion. If it's all about us, then the number one motivator is guilt and shame. And it's all about what you should have done or what you still have to do. And people just become overwhelmed by that. And then we also become susceptible to false teaching. And maybe I should word that as worldviews that are culturally popular but biblically inconsistent. And you see within the church, as John is addressing it here, in chapter 2, verse 26, he said, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. 
So false teaching was a major problem back then. There were these people who were coming in and John said they're trying to take you off track. They say things like matter is inherently evil and the spirit is inherently good. So the bottom line is whatever you want to do in this world, it's fine because the matter is, is inherently evil. But your spirit is inherently good, so you can sin, you can make any decision that you want. It's okay to live as the people in the world live. See, too many people just take their spiritual life and say, okay, well, here's my spiritual life, but I can do what I want to over in this part of my life. It's fine. But when we're not filled with the spirit, we become more susceptible to these things. And it's not a question of if you've received the Spirit, but are you being filled with Him? So here are some basic things that we can take on this journey. And putting these into practice will help you immensely in your walk. And Paul uses the imagery of walking to explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he says to keep in step with the Spirit because that's where the power comes from. So being filled with the Spirit is a continual prayer. And here is a call to action for you this week. I want you each day to pray this simple prayer. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Just let it be on your lips. And when you aren't sure about what to do in a relationship, when you're not sure about a decision, when you're anxious or you're stressed out about something, that's when I want you to just stop for a moment and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. This is what I'm going through. This is how I feel. So just stop for a moment and be before him. And don't contradict your prayer with your life. Don't say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And then you just take off and you start rushing from one thing to the next, always staying busy. The call is designed to create some margin in that busyness in our lives. So no TV for a while, no computer, no iPhone, and just be still. You know what it's like when you're trying to fill a glass of milk for a child. You get a little bit in there, and then they're starting to move that cup towards their mouth. They just can't wait. So you try and hold that hand still so that you can make it a little more full. And I think that's the way God must feel about us as he hears our prayers, fill me. But then we're jumping around and he's not able to fill it. We're a moving target. The Butterfly House is a tourist attraction in New Glasgow. What province do I talk about too much? P-E-I, that's right. But it, it's a neat place. It, it's filled with all kinds of different butterflies, all kinds of different sizes. And the rules are stay on the cobblestone path, no running, don't step on the butterflies. That's kind of a, a given. And then another one is don't touch or try to catch the butterflies. Now, do you think kids can pay attention to that? Arms are flailing. They're trying to catch the butterflies. But my five-year-old granddaughter, Jane, 
She, we told her, if you just stay totally still, the butterflies will land on you. So she did that. I was trying to get the picture, but my technology failed me, and I didn't get the picture to the media team. But here she is, just standing there so still with her arms like this, and she's just covered with all these different butterflies, beautiful colors and different sizes. You know... That's an image of what we often try to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't seized. The Holy Spirit is received. And that's sometimes, it actually requires just being still long enough to be filled. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit, this last thought means being emptied of me every day. And some days I do, and some days I don't, and my wife can usually tell the difference between those days. It's the way I start the day, and it's where I don't stop and really empty me of me. So the hardest part for me in being filled with the Spirit is that there's this temptation to always try to take his place in my life. One guy said, imagine this, and I thought this is good. He said, imagine a boardroom in your heart, and there's a big conference table, and there are the leather chairs around the table. There's a coffee maker. There's a bottle of water at each of those chairs. And then he said, just imagine who sits around the table of the boardroom in your heart. You've got your work self, you've got your religious self, you've got your financial self, you've got your family self, maybe your sexual self, and you're always arguing about decisions. The different voices are being represented. So we kind of live with this divided heart. But when we become a Christian, the tendency is, okay, we'll just, we'll add another chair at the table and the Holy Spirit can come and sit at that table. And the Holy Spirit becomes a part of the different committees that are struck, but the Holy Spirit isn't leading any of those. And, and I'm sure that the Holy Spirit probably doesn't even speak up on votes that are taken. So that's the issue that we have going on. But when we receive the Holy Spirit properly, then what we're saying is you come in and you basically fire everyone else because this all belongs to you. So you sit at the head of the table and you take all those other chairs because this is putting you in control of the table of my heart. You've probably heard us say this before. One person said, the filling of the Spirit does not mean that the believer gets more of the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit gets more of the believer. And that's exactly what we want. We want to empty ourselves of ourselves to make room for his Spirit. So John writes to these Christians... He's trying to help them realize the gift that they've been given. And he says to them in 1 John 4, 4, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So this is how you overcome, by the power of the one that lives in you. Now, the word overcome is one of over, about 30 words in the New Testament used to describe the identity of Christians as overcomers. 
And it's actually a word that you know. It's the Greek word Nike. And that's where Nike actually gets their athletic brand name from. It's from the Greek. And it just simply means conquer, victor, champion, overcomer. That's what Nike means. And John says, look, you are an overcomer because the one who is in you is great. That's where the power comes from. So look at this statement, and I want you to complete it in your mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want the guys just to leave that up there for a moment. And here's what I want you to think through. How is God wanting you to finish that sentence in your life right now? What is he wanting you to do? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty that it hasn't been done, and I'm not trying to exhaust you by all the things that have yet to be accomplished. That's not my goal. I'm trying to remind you where the power comes from. By the power of the Holy Spirit, how does God want to finish that sentence in your life? So this is a gift that everyone receives when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And this valuable gift is available to you today. Don't leave here without making that decision. Don't leave here determined, okay, I'm going to leave, get my life cleaned up, and then I'll accept this gift. No, accept the gift now. Receive his power. Let him help you. If you want to talk to someone, every Sunday we say, come talk to me as we're singing this next song, or our associate pastor James Stevenson, or any of our elders, or just talk to the greeters on the way out and say, have somebody talk to me, and we will talk to you about finding that power in your life.